Welcome to Eye on the Ball. This is Garrett Rands. I'm here with Pastor Tim Everett. Pastor Tim, you wanted to talk about the sin of high hand today. I've never heard of that. What is that? It's found in Numbers chapter 15. I've, I discovered it in my reading in the 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 new. I've been reading New International Version, but I've I've recently switched uh, over to the English Standard Version, and they're pretty literal with the the Hebrew. So it's found in Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 where it talks about the person who does anything with a high hand, as opposed to words like sinning arrogantly, that's translated in other, you know, other translations. But it's contrasted to someone who sins unintentionally. Uh, right above it, it's talking about what's the penalty for the unintentional sin. And it's not as um, exacting as this sin, which I think is foreshadowing for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But it has to do with a sin of intentionality, a sin that's arrogant, confrontive. Um, so this me, is this is a sin, um, would would rebellious be the sin right of word? rebellion, right. Okay. Uh, um, outward, um, intentional, you know, rebellion. So um, in verse 30, uh, Numbers chapter 15, it says, but the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he's a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. So he's he's very critical openly. Uh, that sin is an open rebellion against the Lord. It says that person shall be cut off from among his people. Uh, the word circumcision, he's to be circumcised, you know, from the, the family of faith. And then it goes on to say, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off his iniquity shall be upon him. So uh, this is a sin that intentionally reviles God, uh, insultingly critical of God, uh, despises God's word, and knows his commandment, but chooses to break it. So this is contrasting making a mistake where we kind of unintentionally get angry. Um, this is a, a choice a choice to right. sin and go directly against God's word and against him. Let me give you three pictures here. Um, as you think about the high hand of sin, uh, think about the Nazi salute. Uh, you know, we all picture they you know, raise their Hitler, hand. right? And um, you know, of course, Hitler didn't really invent anything; he borrowed, and that's the the Hell Caesar salute of the Romans. You know, back in their glory years, and so uh, we think of of that as a uh, a salute of the high hand. And that kind of helps us to envision what the sin of the high hand is. Now, let me give you a couple of other pictures that are more controversial, and I'm not reading into the hearts of these individuals. But uh, remember, 1968, the 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 gold and the silver. I think it was it was at hundred meters uh, at the Olympics. Then, at the Olympics okay. in '68, it may have been yards back then. But Tommy Smith and John Carlos had the 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 black gloved salute. You know, while the national anthem was being played, um, they said it was for human rights, especially um, the civil rights movement had, you know, was was being discussed, and so they were advocating, uh, especially uh, rights for for blacks. Um, and so they were they, they were in rebellion, even though the rebellion yeah was have, a good rebellion, right? They were in rebellion against you know tradition, and and so but the uh, symbol there, the gesture. Of the of the raised fist is a rebellious gesture, right? And then um, on the other side of the political realm, we see Josh Hawley, uh, the, uh, the senator from Missouri, 
who on that day of the storming of the Capitol to the Trump crowd after his speech gave just a, a fisted salute to them. And a lot of people asked him to resign over as though he helped incited the few out of that crowd that stormed the Capitol. So, and that was uh, a, a, a rebellion, kind of a victory in rebellion, sort of. Yeah, the but we don't state, really. Yeah, the, or the left. Yeah, or we don't really know right. what he was saying, but yeah. but there was a clear sign or signal there of of rebellion. Yeah, and so that's you know the high hand of sin. Uh, you picture this, of course. There's the the middle finger <laughs> salute. Um, so it's it's a uh, it's it's the idea of thrusting your fist into God's face. Okay, you know a sin that's that intentional. All right. So uh, you've got a biblical example there in Numbers that you read to us. Are there other instances of Scripture that we might refer to this? Some other stories. Right behind it is a, a story of a man executed for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. <laughs> That's a, wow, don't, um, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Tim lives across the street from me, and so I I guess I shouldn't um, be picking up sticks on uh, Sunday. Sunday afternoon, yeah, watch out for that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he was, I mean, right after the law is given on that next verse, verse 32, it talks about how, you know, this man is is out, and um, it's the Sabbath day, they've been ordered not to work, and he's picking up sticks, and so... He's turned in, and uh, Moses has him executed, has the, the community to stone him. But, you know, think, try to put yourself there, and here's this man out gathering sticks in opposition to, to Moses' law. I, I can hear, you know, the neighbors saying, you know, this is the Sabbath day, and you're breaking it by picking up sticks, and he probably cursed them. They probably said, well, you know, it's not me. This is Moses' law. I can see him cursing Moses, maybe even cursing you know, God, it was an intentional act of defying the commandment of the camp, you know, in the, the, the cleanliness laws of the camp. So that's the basis behind it. It doesn't seem like much of a, of a rebellious act, but evidently it goes to the heart, you know, of why he was. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't that he was picking up sticks itself. It was that he was rebelling against Scripture. Well, in, yes. in this case, the Mosaic law yeah. of, of keeping the Sabbath holy. And then the, the next example is more dramatic. That's the rebellion of Korah. Uh, Korah was um, a Levite of a different tribe, or, excuse me, a different clan of Moses who rebelled against Moses. I think it was some of the, the Reubenites who were involved in it. So it was that rebellion where they tried to usurp Moses and Aaron's authority. Uh, you remember the story about how all their supporters were gathered together in a contest that Moses staged where God opened up the earth and swallowed them in an earthquake. And then the next day, Aaron's uh, rod was put into the Holy of Holies and it budded and bloomed out, you know, the idea that God had selected Aaron to be the the high priest. So um, they were in open rebellion against God by rebelling against God's man. And um, that exacted a, a plague upon the people and many people lost their lives because of that. For a coup attempt. Yeah, coup. That was a coup. Yeah. So that was a treasonous um, example of raising your fist against God's face or the, the sin of the high hand. You got another one? Yeah, uh, one more I want to mention. I want to bear down on this one a little bit. Um, okay, this is the last year of the wilderness experience. Of course, all of this was near the end, I think, of the wilderness experience. And so they're camped out in, in Moab, uh, modern-day Jordan, uh, these are the offspring of uh, Lot 
and one of his daughters in an incestuous relationship. So the Moabites were opposed to the Israelites camping on their grounds when they were about to move into the promised land. So um, you remember the story of Balaam, the one whose donkey talked to him? Yeah, how can you forget and, uh, that? Yeah, so uh, you know, he was on the mountain, and he was told to curse Israel, but every time he opened his mouth, he blessed Israel. And we see one of, one of the things that he says about Israel is, is found in 23, Numbers 23, verse 9, where he says, Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. So he was saying Israel's different from all other nations. There's something special, something unique about them. And then um, we see that evidently it was also orchestrated by Moab that they would try to not only defeat the Israelites in battle, but to infiltrate them from the inside and we see that they were inviting them to their festivals with uh, you know with the god Baal and um, we see a lot of sexual immorality and there's the enticing by the Moabite women of Hebrew men and the sexual uh, revelry they had some crazy stuff back then right? oh, I mean look. you know they're they're <laughs> when yeah. we think of bad things that we know about in, in terms of yeah. things that have happened in, in places of worship now and compare it to Old Testament times, they were, I mean, they were absolutely crazy. Oh, yeah. So oh. We, we think about how bad things are now, and we go, it's never been this bad. But, I mean, this is this is bad stuff going on. Yeah, child sacrifices hopefully aren't being made at, you know, a rock festival or something. Right. But, you know, it, it was. It was awful. So, anyway, there was a challenge from the Moabites from the inside and the outside. And um, in chapter 25, we see the story of Zimri who was a, a Jewish chief's son, one of the one of the tribal leaders' sons. And then uh, Cosby was a Midianite woman who was one of the king's daughters. Uh, they had several kind of kings in their confederacy. And so one of her daughters, uh, it's the story where in the midst of, of Moses and Aaron, um, Moses had just called for the execution of, of all those who were involved in this sexual rebellion, and in the midst of um, of them being hung, Zimri and Cosby come into the camp and go into a tent, and and as a result of that, um, and this tent's in open view of yeah, everybody. Yeah, right. In, in the middle of of all of this, you know, they walk in, and uh, Phineas, who's the grandson of Aaron. So he's part of the Joshua generation, this young generation that Zimri would also be a part of that would be moving into the promised land. Uh, he goes in with a spear and, you know, shishkebobs the two. Together. Uh, together, right. He kills both of them. And uh, it says then that God's wrath was, um, was lifted, uh, but there was a plague that day that killed thousands and and um, so it, it's it's story. I want to bring some some preaching points, you know, about the sin of the high hand that I want to take uh, from that particular story. If you'll you'll let me hear. Come on. All right. Um, the sin of the high hand will lead you to believe that you can do whatever you want. It's not what God wants. You know, it's what I want. So Zimri wanted Cosby. You know, he wanted to have sex with that woman. And so it didn't matter the seventh commandment. It didn't matter his teachings. He knew all of that. And uh, so he committed the sin of the high hand by, uh, by selfishly in an act of defiance. Even though he knew better, uh, he decided that he would go through with the act because simply he could do it and wanted to do it. 
Uh, we go on to say that it means that I can do it with whomever I want. Uh, it's interesting here that, that Cosby, you know, I think probably lust was the reason that Zimri committed his sin, but Cosby was probably a setup. Uh, I think probably her dad and, and people were behind, you know, this enticement of the Hebrews to uh, Moabite sin. It was to, to keep this group of people from being special and living out their their callings, being God's special people. And so um, it reminds me of, you know, Congressman Smallwell having an affair with a, a Chinese communist spy. Yeah, you know, it was set up from the get-go. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, he's on the the Intelligence Committee, I think, of Congress. And so uh, this is uh, the infiltration of Israel by Cosby. So uh, he committed the sin of the high hand by doing what he wanted to with um, with whomever he wanted to. It didn't matter at that time that he was being a, a threat, you know, to Israel. Then we can go on and say that we do it whenever I want. You know, this was absolutely the worst timing of all. He brings her into the camp while they're executing, you know, people who were involved in um, in that rebellion. Uh, I think about a, you know, a buck that is careful, say like a six, seven, eight-year-old, you know, huge buck that's careful all year to, uh, but then during rut season, he steps out that one time, you know, that the hunter has a chance to kill him. And, um, you know, this is terrible timing, but, uh, but, but Zimri is so caught up in that sin and his rebellion that it didn't matter the timing of it. He was going to do what he wanted to with whomever he wanted to do it, whenever he wanted to do it, and then wherever he wanted to do it. He did it in his, you know, he brought her back to his, his parents' house. It's a, it's, so it's a total, yeah. it's an absolute total, you're in control, not God. Right. You're, you're taking over everything, about everything, wherever, yeah. whenever. Right. Sure. You know better, but arrogantly, you're, you know, you're thrusting your fists, you know, into God's face. And then here's here's my conclusion on it. Um, and he expected God's people to bless it. You know, we it, we do that, right? Right. We we yeah. we do things that we're not supposed to, and then we say, "Forgive me, God, bless me anyway." Yeah, and it and it brings up the idea of uh, of church discipline. Uh, you know, when someone, you know, we hopefully we love people unconditionally, but we don't condone their bad decision making. But when our, we love them, uh, you know, that, that's not true love when we allow them to continue in the behavior that's an affront to God. We have to love our brothers and sisters enough to not leave them the same. Right. And so, you know, when they come into the, the church with, it's probably unintentional sin, but when they know better and learn better, it should lead to repentance and confession and it should lead to a life change. And so, you know, churches that don't practice discipline, um, the sin of the high hand can um, can cause their lapstand, you know, to be removed, and so you know the 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 whole uh, ability of of Israel to fulfill its purpose was to defeat the arrogance of those committing the sin of the the high hand, those who who knew God's will and God's word but chose to to live their own way. So. Uh, We've got these these examples that you've given us here, uh, the, the scriptural examples. How does this translate to our American culture today or kind of our mindset today? Um, I mean, where where are we seeing this, you know, sin of the high hand? We've been talking about sexuality. Why don't we begin with uh, the sexual revolution uh, back in the 60s? Um, 
I don't know if I coined this or if I heard it from someone else, but the three P's that started the sexual revolution, the pill, penicillin, and Playboy. You know, Playboy that made pornography mainstream. Um, it wasn't the girl on the other side of the tracks or across from town. He talked about the girl next door. And, you know, it became popular for people to, to buy Playboy magazines and have it delivered to their home. So it really just the, the mainstreaming of, of pornography helped produce the sexual revolution. Uh, the pill, which um, allowed women to be, as they would say, in control of their own bodies and prevent pregnancy. Uh, penicillin, which we thought was the end of, of STDs, venereal disease. Uh, but we see... You know, now there's enough proof some 40 or 50 years later that the sexual revolution has been a, uh, a total bust, you know. For it's destroyed America. the family. It's destroyed families. It's been anti-kid. Um, Roe versus Wade. Uh, we've seen, what, what's it up to now, 60 million it, Americans? Yeah, it's, it's uh, so sad. You know, since, uh, since the Soviet Union legalized abortion a little over a hundred years ago, there's been a billion people in the world aborted. Wow! So you know that's the the results in America. The sexual revolution of the '60s has led to that. Um, uh, it's led to. Um, and I could give you numerous economic examples of why that's a bad thing, yeah. beyond the moral. Just but just yeah. you know the baby boom has always been what's spurred on the growth of economies. And so because of abortion, we've actually been economically stifled. And and people don't take that into account. But it's it's part of the reality of the consequence of sin. So the burden of incumbency is upon the, the sexual revolution, whether it's a success or not. We know now that it's not been a success. And we're still being devastated by it. So, um, so for someone now to continue to practice what they're calling sexual freedom, which is um, an affront to God's word and his, his commandments on sexuality, you know, that's the sin of the high hand. Uh, we should know better by now, but we're going to persist in this selfish behavior. We're going to do what we want to with whomever we want to do it, wherever we want to do it. Uh, it doesn't matter how it affects our children. Um, um, you know, no consequence divorce is another you know, result that's come from the sexual revolution. So, you know, that's, that's a good example. You know, I mean, honestly, and this is something I've thought about a lot. And, um, uh, I personally have been very close to divorce myself. Um, one of the things about our state that I, I think is such a good thing is, uh, we've got a six month separation period before and you, you have to have that before you can legally divorce. Yes. And, um, I mean, how many marriages, it, it seems like an inconvenience when you're going through that, right? But how many marriages have been saved? Mine, mine is one of them. Right. Mine is one of them. If you know, if it, if 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 I had been able to get a divorce in, you know, say 30 days or immediately when you go file, I probably wouldn't still be married right now. And that's a, you know, that's a huge thing that, um, you know, God uses things that we we think of as silly, you, you know, to help preserve what He intends for us from the get go. And, um, yeah, I mean, oh, easy yeah. divorce, the pill, all these things that have made our lives, quote, more convenient, um, and they've really destroyed um, everything that God wants to accomplish. You know, the or, or that's not the right way to say that. Yeah, it, he's destroyed yeah. Every, everything that lines up with his will. Amen, you know? amen. Uh, in the 1960s, there were two venereal diseases. Today, there's 25. Wow. Yeah, all that, that. It, that should be enough to make anybody be yeah. – um, 
yeah. <laughs> not not promiscuous, you know. Right, um, and, and certainly AIDS. You know, AIDS was the the real clincher in terms of the devastation, and you know, sin leads to death, and uh, you know, for the sexual revolution. Oh, let's talk about. Um, so that was the sexual yeah, revolution sexual part. Revolution. What, yeah, what about um, the academy? Um, Education in America, higher education, higher education, and and now even, you know, secondary and elementary education in terms of teaching values that are totally opposite of, of biblical values of the Judeo Christian ethic, uh, the values that really help determine. You know, Sunday school was originally, you know, had church on Sunday for the kids who worked all week so that they could be taught to read the Bible. And, and certainly, you know, it was churches that were behind the, the public school movement. And we see where we are today in our public education, where things like, you know, here in the news lately is Dr. Seuss books, you know, being uh, considered outside the realm of what should be taught. But then uh, we're letting, you know, the LGBT um, movement dictate uh, sexual education among our elementary schools. Uh, but basically, we're suffering the results of what was taught in higher education 40 years ago, you know, now is becoming mainstream. Um, the college-educated baby boomers are in control now, and what they were taught back in the 60s and 70s that, were, that we'd consider part of the, the high hand of sinfulness is now mainstream. Wow. It, it it takes some time, but it 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 always trickles down. It does. It it does, and we're reaping the destructive results of forty years of propaganda and indoctrination. Okay, so sexual, and then this this education bit. However, you you said that. Uh-huh. Where else? Where else do we see it? Think about the environment. Um, just think about the words environmentalism. What was ever wrong with the word conservationism? You know, a, a conservationist by definition and by name was the idea that we have a creation to take care of. Uh, there was um, there was room for God in conservationism. It's the idea that, you know, God is our creator and he established man to be a good steward of his creation and we're to conserve and to preserve what's right and and um, and, and all of us in Christ should be interested in in conserving the sanctity of the world that God created, but being really good the, stewards. Being good stewards. And the word environmentalism is a word that takes God out of the equation. So, you know, I would rather call myself a conservationist and not an environmentalist because it has come out of this pop new science that excludes God. And we know that we need to do things better. Right. We we know yeah. that we need to not have as much waste and we need to recycle and we need to do all of these things that are are being taught, but they're being taught taught as a as a way to replace God. And in, in you know, it's like we have to be the ones to take care of the earth. Yes, right. And instead of we're the ones put in charge of taking care of what God's already built, um, it, you know, it's a it's a contrasting way of viewing things. You know, Jesus talked about climate change uh, that in the last days there'll be more earthquakes, there'll be floods, and all these kinds of things that seem to suggest that we're experiencing today, but I just don't believe the the environmentalist story about climate change. And I don't believe that Well the climate's it, been changing for well, since creation. Yeah, since creation. I mean right, if we uh, look at if we yeah. look at ancient Egypt and the ruins of where things were, those were uh, you know, the rivers change course, 
Um, you know, lands that are flowing with milk and honey dry up. Uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 always been going on, and we know that there are cycles. There are solar cycles. Um, there are eleven year solar cycles that have an have an impact on our temperature change. Um, and I'm not saying that we're not doing some things that are very bad for our environment. We are, and we do need to reduce those. But I'm saying that we're not the sole cause of them. Some of it is natural occurrence, oh, natural well changes, yeah. you know. And I mean, and, and there there's are, there are some scientific comparisons between the output of one volcano, you know, one major volcanic eruption compared to how many ever years of these gases that, that we as humans put into the, the atmosphere. You know, and that's, there again, it's like we have all this stuff going on and one one major volcanic eruption can just spew all these gases into, into and that's natural. That's not, how can that be a bad thing? That's, that's always been going, that's what created Hawaii. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and so, um, I think we need to be realistic about, um, uh, the information that we get, where did it come from? What's the source? What's the purpose behind the source? What's their agenda? Right. I think we've got our responsibility as a Christian has to be in stewardship. Um, first and foremost, stewardship, conservationism, Mm-hmm. And not environmentalism. I think that's yeah, that's great. I've never I'd never thought about those two words being used in in such opposition. Yeah, you never other. hear it anymore, do you? Right. I, 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 um, our climate change should make us humble and not arrogant. You know, there's no way to pass a law or politically solve completely climate issues. You know, again, they do have their place, but it's arrogant to think that when climate changes, it's because of something that we've done. Right. You can't change the hearts of man. can't change that. So here's a good example to go along with that. What about litter? Litter is illegal in our state. There's litter everywhere. Yeah. You know, there, I think litter is probably illegal in every state. Mm -hmm. Some states you see it, some states you don't. And it, and you know, where does that come from? And I'm, I'm not sure, but I know that a, a person that litters is obviously not thinking about either of those being an environmentalist or being a conservationist. They're interested in uh, self, uh, self-comfort, self I guess, yeah. convenience. It, environmentalism tries to separate religion and, and, or let's say faith, faith and science. We hear that all the time. Yeah, I'm trusting the science. Um, so oftentimes it's a smokescreen. You know, they're not trusting good science. Um, and good science and, and faith will always ultimately line up. Usually faith is ahead of science in terms of understanding. Uh, but... But yeah, uh, environmentalism is a great example today of the sin of high-handedness on a corporate level. Okay. Are there others, um, other examples well, that we uh, see this in culture? Let's talk about politics and um, let me be <laughs> fair. You're listening and, to uh, a political show, folks. Yeah, that's right. Um, globalism and on the other side, nationalism um, are both examples when you look at the extremes of both groups of people that have chosen to exclude God. You know, God is no longer a higher power. So I guess government is next. You know, if, if, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you've got to elect a savior, you know, every time an election comes along, whether it's on the presidential level or congressional or, you know, here locally, you know, you're you're looking for someone to, to save you, to, to fix our problems. And, and all these isms like, Socialism and communism and fascisms are are just uh, examples of utopianism. Uh, utopianism, the idea that we can create a perfect world, that we can create a Tower of Babel, 
you know, that we can become our own gods. Uh, when you put that you in front, you know, utopianism literally means no place. And certainly as we look back over history, and I think this is why we're trying to, why uh, secularists are trying to erase histories because, you know, history's God's story. I mean, we can look back and see, you know, God at work in his creation and uh, the redemption plan that he has for his creation. And, and uh, man has never been able to create a, a perfect society. So and never will be. And never will. But yet we're, I mean, we're, we're not to using, put our faith in man. Yeah. yeah, we're not using his laws. We're using our own. And, and then we're changing them yeah. every time we see fit. And how can, how can anything succeed when you're constantly changing? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess that kind of fits in with the, the idea that um, we're becoming more knowledgeable, which I, I don't, I'm not sure that that's true. Um, when we still don't know how they built the pyramids and, and other structures, um, you know, then how are we more knowledgeable now than, than we as societies were going back thousands of years? Um, you know, uh, so question here. Before I forget this, let me interject. Um, and the more knowledgeable we become, the more apt we are to commit the sin of the high hand because wow. it's knowing better. It's thinking choosing, that we are so smart. Right, but choosing, you know, to, to go against what you know, uh, and that is agnosticism. You know, the, you know uh, that's a myth that we can't know God. You know, it's uh, the Gnosticism that the, was fought so hard by, by Paul and John in the New Testament, the idea that, that human knowledge can lead to happiness and joy and fulfillment um, so the information highway today, you know, that knowledge is going to save us. Knowledge is a, con- a contributing factor to pride. Amen. Which is where the problem is. Amen. Right? right. And so uh, we would say that the sin of the high hand is the sin of pride in some right. ways. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we've got no shortage of that. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, and we've all been in um, conversations or we have comments made by individuals that uh, are in full belief that they're the smartest person alive, you know, and, um, and then you have sayings like the more I learn, the less that I know that I know, <laughs> you know, and that's, uh, yeah. and there's different ways of saying that, but you know, that's so true as, as we learn more about uh, our culture and, and each other and God's word and, and even science for that matter, every, you know, just about every scientific theory that's come out has been disproven at some point. Yeah. You know, because we, we go, well, that wasn't exactly right. This is this is more true. And um, and so knowledge can be our it's certainly our ally. We want to be knowledgeable. We want to learn more, mm-hmm. but we can't let it go to our head and become prideful, thinking that we know way more than what we actually do. My dad had an every, uh, interesting conversation with with my grandfather, his dad, when he was leaving for college. This is back I guess around 1940 or 41, his college experience was interrupted by, you know, having to go to Europe, World War II. But um, dad lived on a farm and there were five or six sharecroppers that lived on their farm. And, you know, all of them were trying to eke out a living in the depression. But, you know, dad's family at least owned the land. And uh, as Pout was driving dad to Ruston, Louisiana Tech, he had a conversation that, that the work of everyone on the farm was contributing to the opportunity for dad to go to college and that he had a, a debt to pay with that blessing. 
you know, there was responsibility that came with that blessing that, you know, he was going to college to learn in order to contribute back to society and uh, to be thankful for everyone that contributed. You know, dad worked his own, his way through college like all of us did, but uh, it was made possible, you know, by others who supported that decision. So, you know, there was a, a sense of, uh, of educating oneself in order to, to be a blessing to other, uh, not as an end unto itself, but as a means to helping others. And that kept, uh, that keeps you humble when you realize that, you know, that God wants us to, to learn in order to, to know him better. And, and, and dad made the comment to me when I went to college, he said, uh, it'll be worth the price of admission if you learn how little, you know, <laughs> like you Absolutely. just said, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, our, our pursuit is of, of Christ himself. Yeah. Amen. And in our pursuit of Christ, we're in the word, we're becoming more knowledgeable. And then at the same time, we're figuring out how little we know. So last question for you, Pastor Tim, how does all of this, the sin of the high hand, how this has influenced our culture, how does this relate to the unpardonable sin? Yeah, in the New Testament, the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I have a very simple understanding of what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's rejecting Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit leads us to to turn from our sins, to confess our sins, to acknowledge that that we're we can't save ourselves, uh, to acknowledge that Jesus is the Redeemer, to put our trust and faith in Him. Uh, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to bring us to Christ, but there's the idea that we can get to the point where we say no to the Holy Spirit to the point that we're no longer convicted of our sins. And I think the the man picking up sticks on the Sabbath day and Korah and Zimri uh, were intentionally having known, having certain knowledge of God that had been revealed through Moses you know, they knew that, but still they intentionally chose to live their own way. And I think that if we say no to the Holy Spirit enough, then we get to a place where we're so hardened, our hearts are so hard that we're no longer guilty or feel shame at sin. And uh, in a sense, our whole life is committing the high hand of sin or, or thrusting our fists, you know, into the face of God. And and that can happen on an individual level, and that can happen on a corporate level when there's not that remnant of uh, the confessing church that protects all of society. Like the, there had been 10 righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the cities would have been saved on behalf of those righteous men. So it's incumbent upon especially the remnant church in America to, to be humble and confessional, to acknowledge that God is in control, uh, to strive with all of our might to keep his commandments and to um, to honor him. Um, we're not only saving our, ourselves, but, you know, God. we're not only allowing God to save us, but we're allowing God to save our society. Yeah, we're all, we're all bad folks. Every yeah. one of us are bad. Nobody is good enough to get into heaven. We have to have the blood of Jesus to pay for our sins and to wash us clean and to transform us into new creatures, into new beings, the way that he sees fit. We're, I mean, we are dirty, filthy, disgusting, mm-hmm. every one of us. And, and we, we, we say that and, and we, we can't be reminded of that often enough um, because no matter how far you go in your Christian walk, you're still dirty, dirty, dirty. And so listen, folks, we love you. Thank you for listening. God bless you. We'll catch you next time.